Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me coming through here? No. No, not yet. Oh, turn it on here. That might work better. As in, yay! Always forget that bit. <laughs> Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts this morning through your word and help us to take it into our hearts and take it through this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In this book, Letters to My Children, Daniel Taylor responds to a series of questions from his young children. At one point, his son Matthew asks, Church is getting boring. Why do we have to go? And here's part of what Taylor replies. Think about it. If a friend of yours called and said that a famous athlete or singer was going to be at his house and asked if you want to come over, wouldn't you go? And wouldn't you be excited? Of course, so would I. Well, a church is the place where God will be every time you go. Of course, he's with you whether you're in church or not, but he can be there in a special way when many believers gather to celebrate him together. Sounds great, I hear you saying, but then how come you fall asleep so much? (laughs) If God is really there, I mean really there, then how come we aren't bug-eyed and breathless most all the time? That's a very good question. I wish I had a very good answer. Part of it is that God knows we can't take very much of him. It's like when you hold fluffs, our hamster. If you squeeze Fluffs very hard, Fluffs would be on his way to hamster heaven. (laughs) You have to hold him gently and talk to him quietly. Well, God has to be sort of like that with us. If God were to allow us to see his unprotected glory, our worship would be involuntary. We would just fall down in absolute awe and be totally overwhelmed. Taylor goes on, truthfully though, the biggest reason might be that we don't want very much of God. We want God to stay in his cage like Fluffs does. We're afraid of losing control of our own lives. We just want him to help us a little here and forgive us a little there and let us handle the rest. And so we try to make church a safe place where we can get a little of God but not too much. We don't like surprises, not even from God. So we make our churches places where surprises aren't likely to happen. We ask God to come, but only if he'll be polite. And therefore, little kids and adult kids often fall asleep, even if they keep their eyes open. Today I want to talk about worship. What it is, who worships, why our enemy opposes the worship of Jesus, and how I can worship him better. So let's start with, what is worship? We often think of worship as what we do on Sunday when we come together, or as singing songs of praise and adoration. And these things are included in our worship, but is that all there is to it? The dictionary says, to render religious reverence and homage to or to feel an adoring reverence or regard for any person or thing. 
to adore, idolize, celebrate, revere, love, praise, dote on, esteem. The list goes on, but you get the idea. Pastor Barry says, worship should be used as a verb. A doing word, as my primary teachers used to say. We use the word as an adjective, as in worship music, or as a noun, as in the worship was really uplifting today. But worship is primarily a verb, something we do, and not just in church. So who worships? You've heard someone say she worships the ground he walks on, or football is his life. Or he's devoted his whole life to whatever. We all know people who have an obvious passion that consumes their life. In 2008, at the time of his untimely death, the Los Angeles Times declared that David Foster Wallace was one of the most influential writers of the last 20 years. He was an award-winning, best-selling postmodern novelist who pushed the boundaries in his storytelling. Although Wallace was an agnostic, that means he wasn't sure whether he believed in God or not, he made some profound statements about atheism and worship in his now famous commencement speech, which he gave to the graduating class of Kenyon College in 2005. Here's what he said. You get to choose what to worship. Because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they're where you tap your real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, You'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, parables, the skeleton of every good story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. I thought that was a really interesting thing to be telling a group of young people who are starting out in life. Not everyone has an obvious passion, but everyone worships something. Deep down, underneath the day-to-day activities of our lives, lies a choice we have made to adopt, often unconsciously, something or someone as the source of our satisfaction, our feeling of worth and achievement, our reason for living. One thing lots of people worship today is happiness. that is basically themselves. They arrange their lives in an effort to find as much happiness as possible. Some of them read self-help books and exercise and diet because health is necessary for happiness. I read an article this week that was titled 
If you really want to change your life, say goodbye to these 12 habits. It trumpeted to transform your life and release your full potential. Bid farewell to these habits. It went on to tell us, in essence, to trust our own judgment, embrace our uniqueness, take action toward our goals, cultivate self-compassion and positive affirmations, prioritise our own well-being, etc. Now most of the principles at least are wise and sensible things to do, but when we pursue them for our own happiness, they lead to an inner emptiness just like worshipping any other god than the one who made us. I found this snippet about worship in the testimony. Just like trying on shoes at the shoe store, I tried on different things to worship. Men always let me down. Money did too. Christ Jesus never has. God made us in his image. Only man is made in his image. And God did this because he wanted to be able to have fellowship with us. None of the rest of creation has the capacity to worship the way humans do. We're created to worship, and that's why everyone worships, whether they're aware of it or not. The wise men in the Christmas story travelled for maybe a year or more to worship a child who could do nothing for them. This is one of the most extraordinary acts of worship recorded in the Bible. Purity in worship is to worship because of who he is, his value, and not what he'll do for me. Real worship is abandonment to the Lord. Anybody can sing a song, anybody can lift their hands, but you can never find a real worshipper who has a problem with generosity. The wise men came, and when they saw him, they opened their treasures. Why our enemy opposes the worship of Jesus? We all know the story of Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. What did God originally say to Moses? He said, go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. All sounds pretty straightforward. Did you notice what God told Moses to say to Pharaoh? I always thought he just said, let my people go meaning let my people leave Egypt and leave slavery behind. That's what it says in the movie, isn't it? This was God's intention, but it's not what he told Moses to say to Pharaoh. 
He said, say to Pharaoh, let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. He didn't ask, let, my, let all your slaves go. He said, let us go and worship our God. And this is what Moses said each time he goes to Pharaoh. Let my people go so that we may worship the Lord our God. Well, of course, we all know how the story goes. Pharaoh isn't having a bar of it. He has a sneaking suspicion that there's more afoot here than just getting together for a church service. So God sends some plagues on Pharaoh's to get Pharaoh's attention. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God here in the land. The devil isn't too worried if we worship a little without actually leaving Egypt. Now in the Bible, Egypt symbolises the kingdom of darkness. And there are plenty of people in this category. I was watching a, an episode of Inspector Morse and uh, set in the university town of Oxford and there's people vying for position and prestige and there's adultery and blackmail and murder. And then there's a scene where we see them all in church singing and bowing in prayer. They're people who are worshipping without leaving Egypt. But no, God said that wouldn't do. So he sent some more plagues. And Pharaoh said, I'll let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now the devil might lose you from his kingdom, but he doesn't want you to go too far in worshipping Jesus. Don't be too excessive. You don't want to be labelled a fanatic. Keep God in his cage like fluffs. Don't lose control of your life. It's okay to let God help a little here and forgive us a little there, but let me handle the rest. But this wouldn't do either, so God sent a few more plagues. And Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said, but tell me who will be going. Moses answered, we'll go with our young and our old, our sons and our daughters, all our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, if I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you've been asking for. Now, the devil doesn't want whole families to worship Jesus. That's why he brings along distractions and tries to stir up conflict. Why he whispers the lie that it doesn't matter if the person we marry isn't a believer. And so God said, no, that won't do. He sent a few more plagues. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. Here's a big one. Don't take your resources. Don't let your resources become an expression of your worship. As Daryl's dad warned him when Daryl became a Christian, Watch out, son, they're just after your money. <laughs> but Moses said, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshipping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. 
so God said that will not do and he sent one final plague of course that was the plague of the firstborn being killed and that got a quick result Pharaoh called them during the night said up leave my people you and the Israelites go and worship the Lord as you requested take your flocks and herds as you said and go finally they could go and take everything to worship the Lord with worship is the recognition of worth the prophet Micah, Malachi sorry, says when you sacrifice lame or diseased animals is that not wrong try offering them to your governor would he be pleased with you would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? They saw the governor as important, but they had started to think that the Lord Almighty wouldn't notice if they gave him less than the best. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the Pharaoh story, we see for some the treasure is family, for some it's flocks, for some it's the land they live in and the sense of security and the future. They were to take everything not because they were religiously required to worship, but because they were invited to worship with abandonment and celebration. It's not about things, about money, about songs. It's that from my heart of hearts, I see who he is, and he deserves the best of me and all of me. When I was growing up, I was taught the JOY acronym. I don't know if you heard it. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And that's the way to see joy in your life. That's not a, not a bad thing. There's truth here. Putting yourself first certainly does not lead to joy in your life. And I used to struggle with the list of priorities, trying to get everything balanced right and always feeling that something was missing out. If I spent more time in Bible reading and prayer, then the housework didn't get done. If I spent more time with the children, then the housework didn't get done. You notice a pattern here? <laughs> if I spent more time preparing for a church meeting, my husband complained I had no time for him. How do you give God top priority in a busy, busy schedule? I'd like to suggest there's an even better way to think about our priorities. If we worship Jesus, meaning he's the passion of our life, then we read the Bible and pray and fellowship as worship to Jesus. We also love our spouse as worship to Jesus. We love our children as worship to Jesus. We relate to others as part of our worship to Jesus. And we do our work as part of our worship to Jesus. And it's not always easy to think of it in those terms. We take our recreation as part of our worship to Jesus. He's not just first in the list of priorities. He's there in everything, in every decision, in every relationship, in our work and in our place. You see, if someone worships wealth or security, they see everything in life through how it either costs them or it builds their wealth or their security. They're not necessarily aware that that's how they're thinking and it may not be obvious to others, but it's there, deep down, as the underlying driving force of their life. 
It affects every area of their life. Everybody worships someone or something. It's the way we're made. As Christians, is our underlying driving force the worship of Jesus? Satan doesn't bother too much with those who worship other gods. The gods of self, happiness, wealth, security, sport, beauty, the natural world, etc. Those things don't threaten him. They don't rob him of his power to influence, to steal, kill and destroy. But you see, we have an enemy who doesn't want us to bring our homes, our families, our resources to worship Jesus. He says, worship God if you must, but don't go too far. If I worship Jesus with abandonment, it will affect every area of my life. Not because there are rules that I must obey, but because I love Jesus, because I worship him, because he is my treasure, a very worthy treasure. Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our whole lives become an expression of our worship. I see who Jesus is, and he deserves the best of me, and he deserves all of me. Lord, we come to you today and we ask that you help us to worship you truly from our hearts, to help help us, Lord, to, to make everything that we do part of our worship to you, to be aware, Lord, that what we do each day is part of our worship to you. And to not let the enemy bring his deception of not too much. Be careful. Don't let go. Don't worship God with abandonment. Lord, because we know when we abandon ourselves to you, we are in wonderful, safe hands. Thank you, Lord. Amen.